This is the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 181. Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Weekly motivation and language learning tips to help you become fluent in any language. Now, here's your host, Ollie Richards. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. If you are just joining us, if you're new here on this episode, then you're right in the middle of a fascinating two-part discussion uh, all about music and the link between music and languages, where the musicians make for better language learners. I left you on a cliffhanger on the last episode, so we're going to get straight back into the discussion here. Before we do that, I'd like to thank the wonderful sponsors of the podcast, which is a language company called italki. Italki give you the option to have lessons online with professional language teachers. Wherever you are in the world, you can get a you can take lessons, practice speaking with native speaker teachers from lots of different countries. And if you'd like to get a free lesson, you can go to IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash free lesson. Now, at the end of the last episode, I posed a problem to Fiat, which is this. When you're learning a piece of classical music, you're learning fixed notes. You know exactly what the notes are going to be, and you're preparing something very organized and controlled. But when you come to speak a foreign language, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the conversation is going to be. You don't know what words you're going to have to use. So surely this is the point where the parallels between language learning and music start to break down. Here's what he said. In that case, I think speaking languages is a lot more like jazz. I'm a, I think I think that's something you're more qualified to talk about than I am because I, I just play whatever's on the page yeah. and I add my emotions to it. It is a huge difference, isn't it? Like classical music and jazz are very, very different. They really are like, I mean, so for, for those people who maybe aren't so familiar with it, um, I mean, there are various different kinds of jazz, right? And just right, as there is right. classical music with mm-hmm. jazz or improvised elements mm-hmm. as, as a part of there's, there's, there's a broad spectrum. But in general, when we talk about jazz, uh, we're talking about a, perhaps a, a tune or a melody mm-hmm. that is performed, which is tends to be quite brief. But then you have a much longer, more extensive improvised section where you take the harmonic progression of the the piece that you've just, the tune that you've just played, and then you improvise on it. And that goes round right. and round and round. And you just play and you make stuff up. And right. the, 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 the kind of, um, the focus, the feature of the jazz performance is that improvisation. And, and most jazz musicians, <clears throat> excuse me, are assessed or graded on their ability to improvise. Mm-hmm. So you think, you know... Um, you think, well, who is the greatest jazz musician in the world? Uh, you know, if you're asking that question in the in the '90s or the or the 2000s, you you, you know, you might say the name Keith Jarrett would come up a lot mm-hmm. because he right. is generally regarded, perhaps not anymore, but for a long time as the world's best improviser, not the world's best learner of pieces or learner of uh, tunes to perform, but the the world's mm-hmm. best person at taking a chord and improvising. So with jazz, we are practicing the fundamentals we're learning how to improvise melodically rhythmically harmonically over a particular chord sequence we're learning the rules if you like and when to break them mm-hmm. which is just as important in jazz um, but then when we actually come to perform all bets are off it's up, it's up to you right it's like the, mm-hmm. the you you have to uh, you improvise you you make it up but that making it up is informed by the rules and the things that you know right. how to do. So in that respect, it's very, it's very related to language learning and very related to speaking. Um, so in terms of practice, like when I practiced 
jazz, I'm not doing what you're doing with that Villalobos piece. Because with that Villalobos piece, you're practicing the same notes over and over again and learning to perform them in the most exquisite way. Mm-hmm. But the, the jazz is not like that. The practice is is learning how the, the, the best way through the chord sequence in a particular piece. So how to improvise over that chord sequence in such a way that you, right. you manage tension and release, you resolve harmonic changes in the right way, all while creating a nice melody uh, through the improvisation. Um, and I, I guess maybe that's what I mean when I say I get used to the like the, the my memory and experience of performance mm-hmm. of jazz helps me with speaking languages because I, I, I see a lot of parallels there. You never know exactly what's going to happen. When right. you're playing jazz, you're dependent on the bassist and the, the drummer, just as if in a conversation you're dependent on the person you're speaking to. Right. So... Um, but but still, there is an element in in the jazz of repetition. You're learning a sixteen bar chord sequence or thirty two bar mm-hmm. progression. It's very different from learning an entire language and how to deploy it and use it. Right. I guess um, I guess with the language, it, it's it's a I, you know I don't know. I, I I've got all these gut feelings and these hunches, <laughs> but I, it's very difficult to say exactly. But I I think the one thing is that. You know, I always spend a lot of time practicing um, functional language when I'm speaking, you know. So ways to introduce ideas, ways to react to what someone said. Um, You could call them like milestone parts of a conversation, things that have to happen. And so I guess that's very similar to the jazz practice. I don't know. I don't want to overdraw the parallel here, if you know what I mean. But I, but I uh-huh. think, uh, I think there is a huge amount of, um, of, of, of stuff to compare, if only in the respect that you have to be comfortable with the uncertainty of not knowing exactly what's going to happen. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think the thing is, uh, this is probably one of the first times in, that I can think of that people are actually discussing this from two musical backgrounds. So it's a, there's a lot of things we can attack. So I totally understand. We're, we're thinking out loud as well right now. Yeah, um, well, exactly. I mean, there's one thing we haven't touched on in this conversation, which is the role of uh, accent and pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Because as I said before, this is what most people go, this is their kind of go-to um, thing when they talk about well, what's the link between music and languages. Most people think, oh, you, you must, you, you, you have a good pronunciation or good accent in your languages because you're a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, you, people say to me all the time, like you must. I guess you don't find. I guess you're able to produce the tones in Cantonese or Thai because you're you've got a good ear. Right. Now, I don't know because I don't have the. I don't know what it's like not to be a musician. Mm. So it's kind of difficult right. for me to know. I think it's. I think it's fair to say that like, I do have a good ear, and that comes from from the music for sure. And I I tend to feel like in general my pronunciation and my accents my, my production of languages is pretty good and I, I'm sure there is a connection but um, maybe you could talk about that for, for, for a minute in, from, in your experience yeah uh, so I think I was a, approached by a, a, one, a, a lady that was trying to become a teacher in my high school she just came up to me she said are you a musician I said yeah why because your French is so good I said <laughs> And that was when I realized there was a connection. I had, I, it never phased me. 
Um, so when we talk about our ears and being able to hear, what that means is we can hear the difference between, uh, for instance, a T. A T in, in different languages is not the same thing. There's a T, there's a T, there's a T, there's a T. Yeah, and, and these are all T's written as T's. And the, the, the job that we have as language learners is to be able to hear the difference. And so, you know, when we make fun of Americans for speaking other languages, which I think is the worst accent ever, um, yo quiero comer, you know, oh, it's wow. very, you Stop, know, <laughs> I'll be shaking his head now. <laughs> but the reason is, it's not because they suck, but it's not it's just simply, Americans, by the way, English sounds pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the English in general. Um, the, the, the language just gives us all these sounds. And um, so if we take yo quiero comer, the problem is we're not able to hear that the sounds are shorter. Yo quiero comer. And it's uh, the rhythms are different. Um, for instance, if I take Indonesian, if I was going to say, uh, Halo namasaya fiel. So I just introduced myself. My name is fiel. Halo namasaya. It's very, uh, 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 it's very short. Everything's very staccato and it's very sharp. Now, English is not like that. We're very round. We're very uh, just kind of wavy. So that's that's the main thing is being able to hear the different the different A's in each language and that that each language has a different mouth set. Just like um, a classical guitar is not a flamenco guitar. It's not a jazz guitar, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I've... When I think about the areas of, uh, of listening and pronunciation that I think are, might be helped by the musical background, um, that, you know, the example that you gave is, is one of the areas that I don't immediately think of, actually, because I, I've noticed that one kind of pet peeve of mine in language learning, one thing that I often fail to understand is the difference, for example, between uh, short and long vowels. So I have this in Cantonese sometimes where you have, um, you, you know, I will, you, know, you, you have a big difference between saying leng and leng in Cantonese. But if I'm just listening, I often won't hear that because especially mm. when it's when, when people speak quickly, that difference between the short and long vowel reduces to the point where right. it's almost indistinguishable. So that's right. something that I, oft, that I struggle with quite a lot. Um, and and there's other, I mean, just to keep taking the Cantonese example, because that's what I'm working on at the moment, um, mm. there are lots of slightly different uh, consonant sounds which don't really exist in English. And you have a kind of different spectrum of, of consonant sounds, which are, which are mm. quite hard. And I find it a little bit difficult to hear those. So I, I don't know the extent to which, like, having a musical ear helps you across all ranges of pronunciation. But right. the thing, that the, the area which I do feel fairly confident in is that of, of the sentence level stuff like sentential uh, things such as intonation or sentence stress or things like that. So I feel very attuned to the melody of a language, like in the, like the kind of mm. the typical Brazilian Portuguese song, like yeah. intonation yeah. or the sort of tight, constrained Spanish, um, you know, very limited range of pitch you know or right. the the kind of um slow cautious methodical panther-like japanese way of expressing mm. ideas in a sentence or the kind of cantonese tones which just take you melodically all over the the spectrum like, i right. feel very i feel like I, I pick up on those really quickly 
and and just the same way as if you like when you introduce yourself like like I just said then like when you introduce yourself introduce yourself you've got a very clear contour to that sentence introduce yourself you've got not only a rising falling pattern introduce yourself but you've also got a stressed word there or which is introduce and then it's one of the syllables within that word juice introduce mm-hmm. yourself like so that anyone who's looking to improve their english pronunciation is going to listen to that phrase introduce mm-hmm. yourself and try to get that right i feel like i i i'm pretty good at picking up on the shape and the form of those kind of sentences mm-hmm. in other languages so i i kind of feel like it's um for me it's more of a macro scale than a micro mm-hmm. scale does okay. that make sense yeah yeah i mean i agree with you when you were talking about introduce yourself uh other examples english does this a lot uh and i can only think of two examples but one word can have two meanings depending on the stress of it here here's your present do you want to present or um here's my address in american english and then uh so today he's going to give an address it's totally different things you sure word stress yeah. desert desert yeah, word stress mm-hmm. right right yeah and that so that's something that um that you feel that you find is uh i mean it, it, different languages are different right because english right. is a uh english is a um a stress timed language right so mm-hmm. you you need to get that stress right in order to 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 get the to speak properly whereas something like mm-hmm. spanish is a syllable timed language you don't have that kind of um you don't have that same necessity but still you've got i mean i think i say every language has those words where you 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 have that word stress and you need, and you need to get it right um so you that's something that comes naturally to you or or you struggle with or or what yeah um i think in the beginning everyone struggles with it but i've also found that you know after having learned a few languages you get better better at it because you can compare it to your natural your native language um but i've also been surrounded by uh Indo- the indonesian community you know we in indonesia we have 300 different ethnic groups and uh 700 different languages so there are people from all over all the time and my dad uh he speaks a few other languages and he's picked up on those and he'll speak in those to those people from there so i could hear different accents and uh so I was born in Portland, Oregon, and then I moved to New York when I was 10. And hearing people talk like this, you know, it was like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. But do I want to have this accent? No. So I, I chose not to. But, uh, you know, it's there. And so it's just hearing that compared to your 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 real accent, you, you kind of have a dictionary of sounds in your head that you can pull out at a different time. You know, I, I wonder if people who grow up with multiple languages – have a kind of training that's similar to that of a musician. Mm-hmm. So someone who grows up speaking, say, English and Chinese bilingually, or like someone who, um, you know, typical situation here in the UK, say a, a child has a Polish mother, a Spanish father, and goes to an English-speaking school. So they grow up mm-hmm. with exposure to three languages. I wonder whether that sensitivity gives you the kind of, um, whether that exposure gives you the kind of, uh, sensitivity that you get from studying music i guess it must be fairly similar because you just have to get used to distinguishing things right 
Mm-hmm. I guess another question, another question, another way of approaching that question would be, what is it exactly about the musical training that gives you the sensitivity in your ear to pick up on different things? What is it exactly? Mm-hmm. Is it the, is it the what what element of your musical background do you think gives you that sensitivity? So I actually would say my musical background doesn't give enough uh, because the guitar, if uh, for those of you that are watching the video, it has frets, right? And each fret makes sure that this, the note stays in tune. Now, if you play a violin, one of the other stringed instruments, violin, viola, or cello, uh, you have to be able to know exactly where to place your finger on your instrument. If not, it'll be out of tune. And so it's that, it's that forced, um, quote-unquote, desire to sound good, but also to know what is actually right that causes us to uh, strive for it because our teachers are also on our case and there's a whole bunch of people looking around as well. Uh, side note is that it's interesting, but people specifically from Asian countries like Korea and China, mainly China, tend to have perfect pitch across the board. For those of you that don't know, perfect pitch is when you're able to just hear a note or even a sound and tell someone what what the note is. Is that ABC true that they, they tend to have perfect pitch? Really? But they also have much more musical training from, from an earlier age over there. But what's, At least that's what's what I've noticed in conservatory. But what's the perfect pitch attributed to? Is it the, the tone? Some say the tone tones. Yeah. yeah, some do say it's the tones, but I would also back it up with a lot of ear training from when they're young uh, that we in the States just simply do not have. You kind of learn all this music theory and solfege it once you get to conservatory, conservatoire, uh, but but not oh yeah. really okay that's a big difference because in Europe I mean the ear training is pushed right from the beginning in lots of kind of mainstream music right, teaching. Right. I mean, also I think the other thing is we don't really go to our local conservatory or conservatoire. Most people go to a local teacher. Um, sometimes you have music schools around, but usually a lot of it is very YouTube based now. Uh, and it tends to be the ones that can afford it that go to straight to the music schools. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, listen, well, we, we could go on for weeks, I, I, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one thing I want to touch on um, before we finish is the implication of all of this. Because, mm. you know, what, are we, what do we have to say to somebody who, is, who has no music, someone listening to this or watching this now, who has no musical background, and is learning their first foreign language, mm-hmm. because I could understand how they, how someone in that position might be feeling. Well, I'm just, I don't have a, a hope, you know. Uh, I, ha- you know, I have no music, I have no language background. What am I supposed to do? Right. Um, so I've got my own thoughts about that. But what, what, what's your reaction to that problem? You know, I think <laughs> it's easy to forget why we do something in the first place, and especially if you go to a language event, whether it be Langfest, the gathering, or the conference. Uh, you meet all these people with all these badges and, you know, they got all these languages on there with these stickers and you get intimidated as well. But the whole point is to communicate with people. The reason you learn a language is, is to love out loud through conversation. And what I mean by that is just listening to people, getting to understand people from different points of view. You know, maybe in the States, you just cannot stand Trump supporters. Take the time to talk to them, you know, and or maybe you just kind of have a... a what's it called, a prejudice towards Hispanics because you you just hear all this stuff in the news. Go to one of their restaurants, you know, and talk with them. Say, hey, how did you get here? Uh, let me understand a bit more of your culture. I think that, for me, is the main point, is to enjoy people. Uh, but are we saying that the accent, yeah. are we saying that, the, that the, the, your ear and the accent 
except it stuff doesn't matter? Because I think it does. It it, 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 it it does, but it's not most important, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I, I guess when I, you know, looking back on the the various years that I've spent with music mm. and languages, I mean, all of this stuff is learnt. None of right. us, we're none of us are born with this. Like we get at it through through hard work, and a lot of the, you know, a lot a lot of the gains, I think, you get fairly early on. So with yeah, just just yeah. with a small amount of music practice or musical training or a small amount of dedication and devotion to languages by you know taking the time to learn a language just with that you i think a lot of the gains come quickly it's not the case that you have to do this for 20 years in order to experience these gains i mean it it, it is all of these things can can be and are learnt through mm-hmm. deliberate practice and repetition and learning and focus right and i think the worst thing of all is is for people to kind of think well uh, you know, I, I don't have this natural talent, or I don't have this background. Therefore, I cannot X. Uh, oh, that's it, a whole other podcast. It, yeah, it, talking about it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. But I just wanted to. I just wanted to kind of plant that there because um, because it, it's kind of easy. I don't know. I, I'm just conscious that people, most people, don't have the extensive musical training that we do. But I, I would hate for it to come across as it as a requirement to be a, a polyglot or, or to learn languages. Yeah, or not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Okay, well, listen. I think um, I think that I think we'll draw we'll draw that to a close then. Uh, but this has been absolutely fascinating. It's great to see. You know, we've we've got a lot of similar experiences and ideas. I think, but it's really refreshing to hear these ideas spoken about from someone that's not me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, thank you for that. That's been really great. Where can people go and fo- where can people connect with you if they want to uh, learn more about you or or, or look you up? Okay, so people can find me on BetweenThreeWorlds.com where I discuss uh, loving out loud, having better conversations with people. I talk about music and languages a little bit, not too much. Uh, I focus more on just getting at the hearts of people and uh, more humanitarian things. But also, if you guys are interested, Ollie will put this in the show notes. Uh, We talked about chunking and we talked a bit about stage fright. So I've written an article on Shannon Kennedy's blog, Eurolinguist, and uh, specifically on chunking and how to practice your language like a musician learns his music. And uh, there's also a post, which is not yet posted, but will be on uh, Lingual Lift's blog on stage fright and how to conquer it. Great. We'll, and, put, it, uh, we'll, put, a, on it. we'll put a link to those in the show notes. Um, yeah. Fantastic. And maybe I can persuade you to write something like that for my blog as well. Sure. I, I'd be more than happy to. Also, <laughs> I almost forgot. I did do a talk um, on this at the Polygot Gathering. Uh, Ollie will also put that in the show notes, and it kind of gives a big philosophical run-through. I know it's a lot of information, but the main point is to get food for thought in your minds and then just grow what sticks out to you most. Absolutely. Phil, it's great to talk to you, man. All the best, and uh, enjoy the uh, the rest of the day and, and the rest of the spring and the summer and the rest of the year in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ollie. It's a pleasure. Look cool. forward to hearing from everyone. Talk to you soon. All right, what a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed that, and I hope you got something out of it as well. If you would like to check out any of the links that we mentioned here, um, Fiel's blog is at uh, betweenthreeworlds.com, three, the number three. He's also got a, a video of him at the 
the Polyglot Gathering giving a similar talk on this topic and a bunch of other stuff as well. Everything is going to be in the show notes to this episode. You can find them at IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash episode 181. So definitely go and check that out. Also, I'd really love to have your comments if you've got any thoughts on this. Maybe you're a musician yourself and you have some thoughts on the link between music and language learning. Please um, go ahead and let us know there. Likewise, um, there is a blog post that I've written recently all about, um, I guess it's a more concise summary of my thoughts on the link between music and language learning. You can find that as well in the show notes. Once again, I will teach you a language.com forward slash episode 181. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure having you on as always, and I'll see you back in the next episode of the podcast.